weeks ago on this podcast, two promises were made. One, Ohio State game meant everything to Penn State. It was the peak of their season. They needed this one more than any other. Two, I promised you that Tommy Stevens would make an appearance, and that package was guaranteed to hit the field against the Buckeyes. That didn't happen, and now I'm about to tell you the first thing once more. This Michigan State game means everything to Penn State. It's the Lions' last game against a ranked opponent. It's the only one right now they're not projected to win by at least a 90% probability. And if they even come close to this, I think they have as steep a climb as anyone in the top 10 to reach the playoff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's basically looking at the rest of the schedule with Rutgers and Nebraska and Maryland. This is this is the big one. I mean, Michigan State, if you beat them, they won't be ranked anymore. But you know, they've played some good teams tough and, you know, have gotten some quality wins along the way. And, you know, East Lansing is, is on the road. It's a tough place to play, as always. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. This is the biggest one remaining. Penn State needs style points down the stretch. Kirk, Her- Kirk Herbstreet said it this week. And absolutely have to agree with that. they got to start blowing some teams out. Now, I'm not one as much as that intro indicated, you know, drama or Penn State's backs against the wall. Because, you know, I pointed out multiple times, this podcast included, I still think they very much have a path to the playoff. The part about that is, obviously, they need help. I've underscored that. There are a number of teams, even in the next two weeks, you want to look at Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, other teams that could very well lose. Oklahoma's playing Oklahoma State at 4 o'clock. So, they need the help, but secondly, they need to go undefeated, and they need to make a statement along the way. This is the biggest statement they can possibly make. You know, you mentioned Michigan State wouldn't be ranked after a loss, but they're the most respected team left on the schedule. That also holds true, in my mind, for the Heisman race. You look at Saquon Barkley a week ago. Bryce Love does not play for Stanford. Barkley, even with that big kick return to kick off Ohio State, didn't really make a statement against the Buckeyes in the biggest stage they've had to date. I think he's still ahead by a little bit. But it's getting harder and harder to ignore the numbers that Bryce Love has now put up with one less game under his belt than Barkley has and hasn't been able to pull away as much as you'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. And other guys like Baker Mayfield, he's got another big opportunity uh, coming up uh, down the stretch for them. Uh, Josh Adams having a phenomenal year at Notre Dame, although he's got that offensive line. And I think people maybe take a little bit away from Adams because of that and, yeah. and maybe add a little bit to Barkley because of his situation. It's weird, an underrated Notre Dame player. I don't know if that's ever happened before. How about it? And then Josh Adams, he's a PA boy, that's why. Um, but yeah, no, Barkley, I, I think, has got to continue to ro- uh, just to roll up those numbers. All purpose is important, of course. But I think when it comes down to it, I mean, everybody looks at him nationally and and – you're kind of wondering why he's in that race because they just look at rushing numbers. And obviously he's a much more complete player than that. He's a guy that you know catches the ball out of the backfield, returns kicks and everything. But he's going to have to boost those rushing numbers, in my mind, to, to get where he needs to be. And you know a lot of that's going to come down to his offensive line. We're, we're not sure um, you know how that's going to shake out down the stretch. And um, Barkley is certainly talented enough to make up for some deficiencies. But you know, you'd like to see a 200-yard game or something like that. Uh, I don't know that that's coming anytime soon, but at the same time, uh, yeah, he's got he's got to start putting up rushing numbers in my mind. And you know, it's funny you lead out with this. Of course, you know the stakes are huge because it's true. But also, I feel like the course of this week has almost been spent largely on a recovery and look back at the Ohio State game. Now, I, as much as anyone else did that, breaking down the tape, finding out exactly what the Buckeyes did to, to corral Barkley in particular, but then also carry out that game at the very end. But you know, the hype for this Michigan State game because Penn State's more than a touchdown favored. It's on the road, you know, the Spartans aren't that exciting. I think it's almost been undersold a little bit when you look and read around about certain aspects of this game, when in reality, like I just said, the the stakes are the same right now, given the fact that Penn State lost than you had leading up to that Ohio State game, because they need this game if they want to control their own destiny, Barkley, etc. But there's also, I'm glad you brought up Barkley too with his rushing numbers. There's a dirty little secret we're going to get into with this offense and about his Heisman candidacy. 
later on Friday episode. Same rundown as always. That'll come, I think, in probably when Penn State has the ball after quarter of the week. Tweet of the week, recruiting. We actually have some news, despite some uh, road game coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get into recruiting a little bit later. Michael Parsons, of course, making news this week, uh, saying he's going to announce on December 20th. Um, it, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I still have my crystal ball on Penn State. He's coming off of a trip to Oklahoma, which you know all official visits are great, but I still have mine locked in with Penn State. I don't see that changing, and I think Penn State's got an excellent opportunity to land him in December. Do we have anything else, for, or do we just jump into recruiting and finish it? Well, no. I mean, we've got more <laughs> to get back to with recruiting, but we'll go with the format here. Yeah. Quote of the week, tweet of the week. Uh, what do you got? Penn State has a ball, 3-2-1 matchup, and then uh, predictions in mailbag. Um, yeah, quote of the week. This is uh, not a great week for quotes in a little behind-the-scenes media. We had a conference call Tuesday that was canceled with Stephen Gonzalez. Jason Gaminda was the only player to speak that afternoon after James Franklin always does for his weekly presser. A couple of players spoke Wednesday, and then Trace McSorley after practice. Um, but the quote of the week did come from Cabinda on Tuesday. It hasn't been trumped since. He said, speaking about Kevin Givens, quote, If I had to compare him to a player, he's kind of like an Aaron Donald. He just plays with leverage, low, he's strong, twitchy, he comes off the ball, drives people back, he lives in the backfield. Now, any comparison to Aaron Donald, whether you're a college or pro player, is pretty much the highest compliment you can receive because that man is a one-man wrecking ball. But, you know, I think the the comparison is closest when you go physically and just his traits, but not so much the skill set. Though, depending when next year he gets a bigger role, it'll be really interesting to see whether he can hold up against the run, like, of course, Donald has, because that's his ceiling in my mind as a penetrator. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that getting back to what we see at hand, Gibbons is going to have to step up and he's going to have to play both positions. Uh, you know, like Ryan Buckholz did. Uh, he's going to be very. Oh, this week. Yeah, yeah, this week. This week he's going to have to play end against the run and Michigan State's going to come right at you, no doubt about it. They always do. Um, so, yes, but uh, uh, big picture, Gibbons, uh, not the tallest guy like Donald. Twitchy comes off the ball, uh, gets in the backfield like Donald. I mean, he's he's not the finisher that Aaron Donald is, and he's not the player that Aaron Donald is. Obviously, I think that goes without saying, but he's a guy that has potential. Maybe he's a splash guy, but he needs to be more consistent. He's gotten in the backfield. He hasn't finished the plays, and, and when he gets there, he can be very, very good. Right, and it's that natural leverage that I talked about. You know, simply in terms of getting into the backfield, I think he can do that. But there's so much more that goes in that position if he wants to take over the three-technique starting job next year. Quote of the week, we're, or tweet of the week, rather. We're going to stretch this out a little bit because there's Carl Nassib is, is with the Browns, of course. Brandon Bell is on the Bengals practice squad. And it was these two teams that combined for our news of the week, which you, if you hadn't heard, a trade fell through that apparently had been agreed upon, and that was one franchise's fault. We're big on banging on teams with orange. We've done it to Tennessee a few <laughs> times. And, and how does A.J. McCarron, quarterback of A.J. McCarron, of course, uh, you know, traded to the Bengals, only not quite. Well, from the Bengals to the Browns. Oh, excuse me. But it was going to be for a second and third round pick. Right. 355, there's celebrations going on at Browns headquarters. And then at 401, it was never sent into the league office. I feel like someone sabotaged that trade. And honestly, I feel like someone did the right thing. Because <laughs> a, a second and third round pick for A.J. McCarron is just crazy. But... Tweet of the week, uh, Sports Sports Night Canada. Or Sporting News Sporting Canada, Canada, which everyone had this story, but the way they right. put it I thought was best. How does A.J. McCarron feel about the failed Browns-Bengals trade? Quote, blessed, End quote. unquote. <laughs> Boy, that's funny. It's tremendous. Yes, uh, I, and like I said, I, I agree with A.J. I agree with uh, whoever decided to sabotage that, if that's exactly what happened. But, hey, man, he's not going to Cleveland. I'm sure he's pumped. Can we put ourselves in his cleats for a minute? Because I think this trade is also interesting. Forget the football aspect of it. If you are working for a company 
living in Cincinnati and you have, you know, let's say 31 other branches in a variety of cities that just so happen to match all the NFL cities and you are going to get traded, pretty much the only place you don't want to go after that is north to Cleveland. Like you would be happy, Foxborough, Massachusetts included, might be a little biased. Uh, (laughs) We'll call it Boston. Upgrade. Upgrade. But I'm trying to think about other cities. If you're leaving Cincinnati, which I've been there, downtown's nice. I think it's a little bit more limited than than some other, uh, more other metropolises in the NFL. But, you know, you're blessed because that was going to be the one spot you didn't want to go to, even forget the football side of it. Yeah, and you can get three Floyds in uh, in Cincinnati. So it's good that he can stay there and continue to drink his Alpha King and his Gumball Head and, and Zombie Dust. Uh, that's the way I look at it. With you everything. are suddenly like such a beer snob. Oh, of course. Speaking of snobs, recruiting snob here. Uh, yeah, we talked about Michael Parsons a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, continuing on that 2018 class, Space has been an issue for so long. Um, Parsons has been a guy up there. Tyreek Smith, Jason Owe, just the same names continue to come up. But, you know, Penn State, I think, willing to get a little bit more flexible. Coming down the stretch last year, they focused on four guys before the December break. All of them were early enrollees. And they got uh, all but Josh Kendo um, for the most part. And then they had space that they really didn't expect to get. They turned down some guys that you would have thought were no-brainers at one point. Nate Proctor included went to Virginia Tech. And and then all of a sudden they had all this space at the end. They were they were trying to get Mark Webb back in into in the town. They were yeah. trying to get Tariq Castro Fields, which obviously they got. And then at the end of the, the the end of the cycle, they throw a scholarship to Corey Bolds at the last minute. Um, so I, I think they're trying to avoid that scramble, and attrition happens. I mean, it, it happens all the time. It's happened every year that I've covered recruiting. So I, you, I guess they're going for a little bit more than they thought they were. Um, so that that would be my only thing. You, you've got the three defensive linemen. You've got Rashid Walker. Solomon Enos is still out there. That I don't, I don't know that they take him. Uh, excuse me, Quantel Reigns off the board this week to West right. Virginia. I don't know if he comes back around, but if Penn State's interested, I think he's going to be interested. The, the, it's such a good product right now that they've just got a ton of quality, and I think they're willing to say, hey, you, we can't turn some of these guys down. And especially if you saw the Ohio State game, they need help up front on both sides. Those defensive linemen are, are, are certainly impact guys. Rasheed Walker's an impact guy as well. So, And you mentioned Reigns. He's in town for the Michigan game. And you know, the, this isn't a point of need now, and they're going to have depth. But the two safety spots are going to be open after the season. So that's a, a spot. If you're a kid like him who has confidence, you know, the, the, the physical measurements add up for him enough as much as they've already got Ashim Young on board. You know, I'm not saying that he would come back around. But if there's a kid who might and the opportunity opens up, might step through that door. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Bolds last year. I mean, Bolds essentially held out for Penn State. He came for an official visit in the fall, tried to commit to Penn State last fall. They just flat out told him they didn't have room. He came back around, uh, was actually committed to Rutgers and ready to sign with Rutgers, and Penn State turned around, threw him an offer, I think at 4.30 in the morning on signing day, and he said, let's get it done. So those sort of things happen. Um, Now they're starting to happen with higher quality guys, which you mentioned Reigns. I mean, if they could get back in on reins a couple days before signing day if they decide to go that road i think they could they could at least make it make a good run at it so yeah. i think that's just saying where they're at recruiting right now a tremendous class already going to be a good ni- uh, 2019 class so i mean they're 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 in a good spot right now so that i think that's the thing to take away from that really quickly before we get into your uh, gallery about recent penn state michigan state recruiting battles which, you know <laughs> yeah, shout out um, not always what we uh, want to put out there but this one happened to kind of work out 
you know, it's interesting to me that the historical aspect of this, not only the schools on the field, but of course the players, they were fighting for it off of it. You don't want to always have that history, say, you know, a Penn State is playing in Illinois like they will next year. I don't think they'll have that same gallery. But a couple names obviously came right to mind when I broached this with you the other day. And then, of course, the gallery came to life. Yeah, absolutely. Michigan State had been a thorn in Penn State's side. And it's funny to, to, to watch where Penn State was a couple of years ago. And, of course, where Michigan State was going to the college football playoff a couple of years back. And then all of a sudden things kind of flipped. Well, Michigan State was was really eating Penn State's lunch on the trail, I mean, especially in that 2016 class. Um, the mutual targets, um, it, it, it was really interesting when I went back and read that Josh King, uh, Austin Robertson, uh, Demetric Vance, and Donnie Corley, who was phenomenal for, for Michigan State as a freshman last year, you know, Penn State offered all four. They pursued those guys. Uh, Michigan State ended up with a really good 2016 class. They're all out of school. I yeah. mean, it, it's crazy how this stuff sort of turns on its head. Whereas Penn State, um, you know, the guys that they have won, um, Michigan State made a run at Miles Sanders. They made a late run at Manny Bowen in the 2015 class. Could not quite flip those guys. Um, or, and, and Penn State, or excuse me, uh, Mike Panasuk, who I told you I was going to mispronounce his name. That um, was pretty good. Yeah, it's just been battle after battle. And now all of a sudden, you're looking at the 2018 class, maybe the 2019 class, and, and, and Penn State, Michigan State, not really going head-to-head anymore. And, and I don't really know why, but I can tell you from the Penn State side, they're, they're recruiting a little bit uh, high, you know, at a higher level, number four class in the country right now. So recruiting at a higher level, higher quality, and Michigan State has really dipped down. After that season last year, um, that's that's going to sting them for a little while on the trail. So uh, it, was, it was fascinating to look back at it. Um, you know, check it out if you get a chance. I've, I've really been enjoying these sort of look back in the past. We did one last week. We, we did some with the whiteout. So getting these uh, this look back at where Penn State was, mm-hmm. where Penn State, what, what they went through and where they're at right now, it really makes a lot of sense. The, last week was the, the one about the uh, storylines and how Penn State got the roster right now. So it's just been fascinating to see you know, what kind of strides they've been able to make in such short notice. Um, it, it, it's really been cool to watch from an outsider perspective. See, I got to say, though, you have me a little bit worried because the whiteout galleries, I think that week you were also a little sick or you were fighting something on the podcast. And now here we sit progressively sounding more nasally as we go along, which is going to happen. Yeah. But if this this is what the galleries are creating, I don't think we can have it anymore. Uh, that's my bad, man. I'm, I'm, I've been fighting off a cough for uh, 14 and a half minutes now. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. We'll be fine. Well, you know what? At the very least, I don't think we're going to have a very large gallery for Penn State Rutgers week in terms of galleries and the recruiting battles. There have been Top. some, but th- this was more like... Top running back flips from Rutgers. What do you think? Oh, wow. I don't know if anyone really comes to mind. Um... Oh, that, yeah, the Barkley guy. Yes. Okay. Very this good. not a bad one at Wisconsin right now either. No. Speaking of Barkley, though, when Penn State has the ball, talked at the open about a dirty little secret with regards to Penn State's offense. Let's get it right out in the open right now. Because Michigan State's run defense is excellent, just as Ohio State's was a weekend ago. Michigan's before that, of course, Michigan had trouble with the 69-yarder. They gave up in the second play from scrimmage. Barkley goes to the house. Nice. But overall, Michigan did a pretty solid job against Barkley. Michigan State is expected to do the same, and honestly, a year ago, even though they went 3-9, and nine, set the standard when it came to containing Barkley, because people won't remember this 
because the final score was 45-12, to 12, but Andre Robinson, in garbage time, outgained Barkley, who admittedly suffered a third-quarter injury, but they bottled him up. There were a lot of twists up front, spoke with linebacker Chris Rye at Big Ten Media Days, saying we had a great game plan. McSorley said the same thing Wednesday after practice in the way that they defended the run. Now, they're like Pitt, of course, you know, this, this aggressive quarters defense. They want to say, we don't get eight in the box, we get nine with our safeties coming down, but otherwise, you know, quarters, again, you have the corners and safeties, each accounting for a deep quarter of the field. It's just a matter of that front did extremely good things against Barkley, not only against him, but that offensive line. Right now, you look, as they were a year ago, different bodies at tackle, some injuries there. And Barkley, again, here is the secret. Outside of that 69-yarder against Michigan and the 53-yarder in the second half against Northwestern, he has averaged 2.25 yards per carry in their last four games after Iowa. That's crazy. I mean, and a lot of that's on the offensive line and, and decision-making and all that kind of stuff, and you've covered that in tail of the tape, no doubt. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's he's got to get rolling on the ground. We mentioned his Heisman campaign earlier. That's one thing, but, yeah, he's he's got to be effective as a runner. And, you know, he's a chunk guy, no doubt about it. He, he, you know, he's tough to, tough to bring down when he gets out of the Call him chunky. I'm not calling him any, maybe his calves. Yeah, his calves are a little <laughs> chunky. Um, but, yeah, when he gets out of the backfield, he's tough to catch, but he's got to get out of the backfield lately. He's just not doing it. Yeah, and that's the part where you look at this average. I'm not a huge fan of stats where you're able to say, okay, we're going to live in this world where these two runs didn't happen, and then you look at the average how it's adjusted because then you could say, well, then why couldn't you just introduce an extra run or certain game, whatever it happens to be, because we live in the world where both of them happened. Right. However, the larger point is this average is brought down by those negative rushes. We've heard you know James speak multiple times to the fact that our issue isn't so much Saquon's production the negative plays. However, again, those all factor into that yards per carry average. And when you go back to give the ball to Barkley, on average, the last four games, outside of those two big plays, it's been 2.25 yards. So against Michigan State, truthfully, I would not expect Penn State to make big strides. Part of that is just due to the Spartan success against the ground. They're much better than they were even a year ago when they limited him, as I mentioned. Uh, But secondly, Wolf Fries and Chaz Wright are going to be, in all likelihood, your offensive tackles, as we saw at the end of Ohio State. Michigan State does not employ the same caliber or type of athlete up front, but you know you don't really necessarily need dominant forces up there to overwhelm a Fries or Wright, young players still developing, and a guy in Wright who was rusty coming off the bench and revealed that quite quickly, giving up two quarterback pressures in only 23 snaps. Yeah, they're going to come after those guys, no doubt about it. Um, they don't have the athletes to cover the ground. Um, we, we've had guys on the board asking about getting outside a little bit more this week, and I think this is the week to try that. Um, you know, not necessarily, you're not going to get great blocks on the edge from Jasicki or, or try and fool anybody because everybody's following Barkley. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be, sorry, my cold's catching up to me. It's going to be something where... That cold is the Michigan State defense to your Barkley. Basically, yeah. So let me be your Andre Robinson to your suffering Barkley. This game, in my mind, if it is going to be lost for Penn State, will be lost at the tackle positions. And again, I think they're going to have twists and tweaks to get around that as they have all season. There are other things they can do to avoid the you know defensive ends crashing into the mesh point, which has been a problem in the last couple of games, particularly against Ohio State and Northwestern. Um, but in certain instances, there's nothing you can do about having subpar tackles or backups there who have been out of position, fries bouncing back and forth, and right, who just really has not looked like the player that he was a year ago. Part of that will be him in the, in the passing game. Then the issue is getting around linebackers Chris Fry and Joe Bocci, Bocci being their sophomore leading tackler, who's been outstanding. These are very active because, of course, they're out there nonstop against the run and the pass. 
Again, they're not going to win one-on-one against Barkley, but they didn't. They weren't able to do so a year ago, and they didn't have to because of the way they limited him. So I would expect a lot more passes that are extension of the run game because, yeah. again, you don't want McSorley holding onto the ball with those tackles. And, again, they are just going to look at that matchup and say, we're not going to be able to win up front consistently for four quarters on the ground. You don't want to fall into that cliche that your short passing game has to be part of your run game, but it, it almost does. So they went to some screens last week. It had a little bit of success. The draws were great. Yeah, the yeah, I mean, just uh, getting away from that. I mean, you're promising wrinkles again, which yes, you yeah. haven't brought up Stevens yet. He's but, happening this uh, this weekend. He's happening. Yeah. Oh, you're doubling down. Uh, I will over? double down. I will sit here at this table and put the house on, and then you know the kids' futures on it. Like as long as you know, I eventually come out and leave a winner. Perfect. Perfect. Which is maybe not good for my uh, future, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, go, get back to the offense. Um, I, I think the the pressures on the receivers this week. You've got to attack that secondary. You mentioned earlier uh, aggressive uh, quarters coverage. So there there will be holes for those guys. Um, you look for Hamilton to have another uh, decent showing. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the pressures on the outside this week. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later about Tra- Trace running the ball, but. Uh, with so much focus on Barkley and this being such a good defense, I think you, you got to get the ball on the perimeter and, and do some work. And moving to the outside again, I think that's where they can have an advantage, not only because of the aggressive nature of that coverage, but structurally knowing where they're going to be in, the, in that quarter's defense. I mean, that's how they gouged Michigan State in the second half a year ago. This this passing attack was outstanding. Four touchdowns, all at least 34 yards deep. Of course, Chris Goblin contributed to that, but I think they're going to have abilities to win one-on-one, but also through scheme. I mean, if they can identify exactly what coverage Michigan State's going to be in, which they make things more up front with their front seven than they would in the back end, then they can take advantage of that. Of course, it depends on getting that protection, but when you look at Penn State going to its play-action game, more often than not, that's fronted by max protection. Barkley and Mike Kosicki staying in, blocking, and I think that's really going to help them um, but it, it's just a matter of when do they take those shots because you saw they all but abandoned that play-action game late against Ohio State, different circumstances, but for all intents and purposes on Saturday, perhaps they do it again considering the weather, it's expected to rain, and again, you're on the road. Overly aggressive defense, yeah, I think you got to take those shots, no doubt about it. When Michigan State has the ball, we talked about Kevin Givens earlier. I mean, that's going to be huge. I know you're a big Kevin Givens fan, but when he's been in there, they've defended the run pretty well. And, you know, he's a guy that we've talked about getting in the backfield, being a splash guy. If he can be a little bit more consistent, that gives you the opportunity to take those young defensive ends who don't need to play 40 snaps as they did last week. And, and that will boost their effectiveness as well. It will. Given started uh, defense early, played defensive end for a good chunk of the snaps at Iowa and against Michigan. The previous two run-based, generally pro-style offense Penn State has seen. So he was probably going to kick out to end anyway for this trip. But now with Buck Holt's guaranteed absence, he's going to see time on the edge. And it was funny, I joke with one of the Penn State staff members, you know, not coaching staff, but on Tuesday saying like, oh, he's absolutely going to be out there. And, you know, they'd say like, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. I was like, all right, let's put a pizza on it. And then they quickly backed away because, you know, it's plainly obvious whether you're inside the building, you've been watching or covering this team, or even if you're Michigan State, this is their best course of action because you've got depth of defensive tackle to swing him out there, have him play multiple snaps, and then let Shaka Tony, as you just referenced, not have to play 40 snaps a game, which isn't so much, you know, to discredit Shaka, it's just amplifying his strengths. And for Kevin Givens to have that extra weight and have bring that pass rush to the outside whenever they do get in third and medium or third and long, that's what helps Penn State, and that's why you're going to see the switch. I mean, it, it makes too much sense not to. I'd be surprised, honestly, except for maybe a third and long here or there, if he doesn't play the entire game at defensive end. 
I, I would be surprised too. I mean, you, you look at those guys. Simmons has, you know, I think people, the expectation is too high with Shane Simmons right now based off his recruiting uh, background and everything like that. I think he's steadily improving and you can see that. Um, Shaka is a guy that's not supposed to play 40 snaps. He did that last week. But when you get him in there third and longs and he can play 15, 10, 15 snaps, I mean, he maximizes that ability. When he doesn't do that, I mean, he's just uh, another guy, you know? Yep. Someone who is not another guy, quarterback Brian Lewerke. James has brought him up at every single press availability. I'm sure he you know, did on the coaches show when he was speaking to fans at Permanent uh, Brothers. This is a guy who's really brought Michigan State's offense to a new level and given life to their passing attack. Now, most games he's played this season, he's not top 300 passing yards, but as a dual threat guy who can escape the pocket, much like John O'Korn did for Michigan, more surprisingly so, a couple weeks ago, he has really given them an element that they didn't have a year ago coming into Beaver Stadium. And it really will be, the, the onus is on Penn State's defensive front to contain him because that's what will sustain drives for the Spartans, are timely scrambles, runs by him. Because honestly, their running game outside of Lewerke has not been um, too successful in their last couple of games. Yeah, uh, Lewerke makes it happen for them. And, and Michigan State, uh, we talked about their quarterbacks uh, uh, you know, earlier this week on the podcast. They, it's never the center of the offense. But when Lewerke's quick, uh, clicking, I mean, he's he's the guy for them. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He can make things happen. He's so dangerous. And, and we, we talked to Buckles a couple weeks ago about containing JT Barrett. Well, I mean, he's not JT Barrett, but he's a, a guy that can get out of the pocket and hurt you and move the sticks and keep your defense on the field. Right. And through the air, he's completing better than 61% of his passes, 14 touchdowns, only four interceptions, and about 225 yards per game. So again, some of that is skewed by these outrageous performances. You know, he's had Northwestern last week. They go to three overtime. He's a big reason for that. Um, you know, the passing game, they've got three receivers with at least 20 catches. The name for me to remember is going to be Felton Davis. He's got seven touchdowns, team best 405 yards. And again, some of these receivers, like the work he too, has had these explosive games, but it hasn't always been consistent. I think if you're going to have one wideout explode, though, against Penn State, it would be Davis. However, if you are Penn State, I think you feel much better about this matchup than you did uh, you know, a week ago against Ohio State when you only had two pass breakups. Yeah, Ohio State has, can, can beat you so many ways, and if you're covering for that long, you're going to break down. I don't think that's the case against Michigan State this week. I think they get to the quarterback a little bit more. Michigan State had probably their best game in terms of offensive line play last week, but at the same time, Penn State, they're not the caliber of athlete. They're, you know, Penn State probably going to throw a couple things at them uh, defensively to uh, to get Lewerke moving. And, you know, when he moves, this is a team that turns the ball over. And when, when, when he moves, I mean, it can be a pick. Uh, you can knock that ball out of his hand. Uh, so it's, I think that's going to be a key stat for Penn State. And it always is. Uh, turnovers are obviously something that's, that's very important. But, uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be an important game for them for t- from a takeaway perspective. Last note on that offensive line you just referenced. They've been rotating bodies at guards, which I think plays in the hand of the defensive tackles, which will need to stay healthy because, honestly, Penn State can't sustain another injury up front. You know, you're going to be looking at Tyrell Chavis, Rob Windsor backing up the Cawthorn brothers, and now with Gibbons' defensive end, you're still playing those freshmen behind him. Um, but I think you will see a good game from Cawthorn and Cawthorn. And then, you know, that's still a line, though, that, that is not a weak point necessarily because speaking with Cabinda on Tuesday, he said the difference right now between last year and this year Obviously, there's the worky, but that offensive line is really gelling. So with the bodies rotating in there, you might have a sore spot at left and right guard, but it's not so much that to the detriment of the entire line. So those matchups will be critical because they're stronger out on the edges. Um, and again, the other part about this is, you know, forgetting the personnel and the matchups, 
the pro style nature of this offense, not only is it under center and some two back stuff, but the trading and shifting, I think is going to be really important for Penn State to account for, particularly in the goal line, where if you miss, you know, one assignment, it only has to be a little bit of separation. You got to play action pass and that's a touchdown. It's funny in the Big Ten, Penn State's where they're at in their season and they've really only seen one offense similar to this in Michigan. You yeah. mentioned Iowa, you know, as a run first team, but a little bit different look. So, uh, you know, it, 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 there's going to be pressure on those guys to to, to recognize the play. Um, I, I we'll skip ahead to our to our matchups here, and you've got Penn State's linebackers recognizing play action and hitting the run fits. I mean, that's, that's going to be huge. That's going to be huge for Penn State. Cabinda has played very well at times, but you know, after watching JT Barrett pull that ball last week, I mean, they're, they're probably going to be on their heels a little bit. So um, that's going to be very important. And uh, you know, linebacker play is just going to be as it always is in East Lansing. It's going to be paramount to their success. Right, and that's a big part of it too, because when they're in that twenty-one, sometimes twenty-two personnel, that means you're going to see Cole Farmer on the field a lot more than he has been against you know some teams like in Ohio State or even in Indiana. Well, they'll, well, they'll start drives in their nickel package. That's not going to happen against Michigan State, barring a huge lead in the third or fourth quarter on the part of Penn State. So Farmer playing more time needs means that he needs to play consistently and play well. I think he did against Ohio State. Of course, had the fumble recovery on their first drive, and they're going to need to generate more of that. Um, along the same lines, Penn State's wide receivers, again, working against Michigan State's own 4-3. Hamilton in the slot, particularly against their, their linebackers, is going to be huge. And that's my second matchup when, when you look at this game. Yeah, you mentioned Hamilton a little bit earlier. I think he's going to continue his stretch. He's playing really, really well right now. So um, it, on the outside, you've got youth. Um, there's a little bit of size there. Justin Lane, who was actually a, a, quarter, a, a wide receiver target for Penn State uh, back in the day. Uh, you got young corners, nobody with more than two interceptions this season. So I don't know that there's a go-to guy that can, you know, you know, force turnovers or anything like that. So Penn State has the advantage on the outside. They just got to get those guys to step up. I mean, Juwan Johnson, we're still waiting for that breakthrough. You know, he started to show some things and He's been more reliable across the middle than I think I than we expected, but at the same time, got to get him down the field and uh, see if he can make some plays. All right, last one. Obvious. We started out with it. You know, offensive line for Penn State against Michigan State's defensive line. To me, this really comes down to the edges. I think they'll be fine in the interior, but there's going to be a lot of slanting, twisting, and again, particularly on the right side, they've had issues with with stunts. Michigan State's so active up front last year, and that's a big reason why they took Barkley out of the game. I mean, he just had nowhere to go. You had you know, offensive linemen chasing uh, uh, chasing defenders all over the place. So, um, yeah, they're going to be very active. And at the same time, I mean, this is going to be the story the rest of the year. I mean, this is this is where Penn State is going to have to earn its, its trip to the college football playoff if, if they do that. You know, if they don't take care of business, they, they don't deserve to be there. Three matchups down, on to the two concepts. And, and sticking in the trenches, but on the opposite side of the ball, Michigan State. You've heard me use this term, I don't know how many times the podcast, but James did on Tuesday, and I, I see it when I watch them play. The pin and pull. Michigan State will There's run that. Wood. Yeah. yeah, pin and pull, how about it? Uh, I think uh, Audrey Schneider even tweeted at me as soon as he made that declaration his opening statement. But moving on, again, pin and pull. Typically marked by two pulling linemen. You're going to see the tight end on the end of the line try to take the defensive uh, end and pin him back towards the inside. And in particular, I think you'll see them run this towards the boundary. I mean, Penn State's opponents have been running into the boundary so often this season because they're aware of how much Brent Pry likes to blitz from the field, otherwise known as the wide side of the field where you see Cole Farmer line up typically. So instead of running into that pressure, they just go in the opposite direction, which if you're Penn State, you're okay because there's a limited amount of space. So there's not a whole lot of room to break off long gains. 
And, you know, I think if they're going to go with that, you're going to see the pin and pull just as you did against Iowa. Michigan ran it some. Pitt ran it a ton. And even Georgia State. Yeah, and they've had success against that. I mean, Penn Yeah, they've got a better handle on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it. I think it's less dangerous than something like, you know, we saw last week with the RPO and the zone read and stuff from, uh, from Ohio State. So Penn State, I think, will be fine against this. They've seen it before. And as we've seen, when, when, you, when they've been able to scout something that they've seen similar before, they've had some success and... You know, it's, it, the quarterback is not going to kill you running the ball. I mean, he can run, no doubt about it, but he's not going to be the guy that, you know, takes off and, and kills you with his le- his legs. So uh, I think they'll be okay with this. Um, going back to the other side of the ball, Michigan State's slanting. I mean, they're all over the place. Yeah, they, second concept. A lot of stunting, a lot of slanting. Uh, it's just They're very successful in what they do, and it's a system that they've run for years there. And, uh, you know, they, they always do it well. And it's given Penn State trouble. I mean, you look at that first half against Ohio State, 80% of their pressures were accompanied by a, a slanting defensive line towards the tight end, which teams will slant their defensive line depending on the alignment of the tight end and or the running back. In this case, it was clear. They said, we're going to solve you know that zone read by having our defensive ends dive or crash towards the mesh and then having that blitzer take care of the quarterback. Now, they didn't blitz in every single down, but again, this is an aggressive defense where you'll see that front move a lot side to side. It's given Penn State trouble, and I think, truthfully, it's just, you know, I'm of the belief that Penn State struggles more with quickness than it does with power, and that was the defense, not only just in talent between Ohio State and Michigan, but in Penn State's ability to handle each of those lines, even though both of them have future pros up front. Yeah, Michigan sent waves, and they sent some some pretty big guys up front, and, and Penn State did okay. I mean, I don't think it's a power thing. I don't think it's a strength thing. I think it's just... You know, getting out in front of those guys. We've seen Gonzalez struggle with pulls this year, and, and the tackles. You know, Chaz Wright when he's been in there just frankly hasn't been quick enough to get out be out in front of that. So, um, yeah, you're exactly right. If Michigan State moves as much as they typically do, it's going to make this offensive line think, and that's we've seen it's not a good thing for Penn State. Yeah. So keep an eye for the Spartans, the pin and pull, a lot of slanting defensive line, and now our bold predictions. Last week, we broke tradition and gave a score. We're going to go back to what we normally do, and that's just ruined everything. this crazy yeah. event is going to happen. And uh, I didn't ruin anything. I, I told the people what was going to happen. That was a close Ohio State win. Um, you might have ruined everything by saying Penn State was going to leave town with 31-27 victory. But what are you going to do to make up for that this I, week? I think Trace outrushes uh, Barkley this week. Ah, uh, James Franklin talked a little bit about it on Wednesday night. When he gets going early, it's sort of a different game for Penn State. Then you know they have to account for McSorley. And you look at McSorley, and you don't think he's going to take off on you. But you know he ran very efficiently uh, at times against Ohio State last week. Really done it all year. Um, you know his decision making could be better, no doubt about it. But at the same time, I mean he can get out and, and make some things happen and, and pick up some chunks. Okay, good news. Penn State is going to force three turnovers on Saturday. Here's why. Michigan State has fumbled 22 times this year already through eight games. They've only had two games in which they haven't had multiple fumbles. Now, most of these they've recovered. It's a slight advantage. Same thing with Penn State. Penn State's had that extraordinary fumble luck so far this season. But you take into consideration the rain and Michigan State's tendency to put the ball on the ground against anyone. Penn State is going to get back to forcing turnovers, which it must do, and that'll happen in East Lansing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you. Michigan State sloppy with the ball at times. Uh, they got to clean it up, and you know, Penn State has been advantageous with their defense. So, yeah, I, I, I can see that happening absolutely. I can see us answering some mailbag questions too. That's what I see. Good segue. Uh, when can Penn State fans realistically expect consistent play from their offensive line? So this was sent. Uh, 
last or early in the week to me, and I think it's a very fair question. Uh, my answer, truthfully, is next year, and that's partly due to injuries. It's due to the youth. You're going to have four returning starters up front in 2018. You know, you had the same thing this year, but again, those most of those starters were freshmen and sophomores. Next year, they're going to be second and third year players on that line. Again, Ryan Bates still now barely working towards his first full season at left tackle. Right tackle has been a revolving door. Stephen Gonzalez has been inconsistent. Conor McGovern's first year at center. So I don't see consistency anytime in the near future. It just might be, you know, the floor might be a little bit higher in terms of these games that they're going to play against Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland where you're not dealing with that talent. But if you're looking for just domination or even just steady play week in and week out, that's not going to happen. Again, Barkley went backwards on nine handoffs against Ohio State. He only had 21. That's, so that's not consistent at all. That's crazy. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, good enough will be good enough. I don't know if it's good enough for the college football playoff, but, uh, you know, they came together down the stretch last year. I don't think we see that, you know, based off of the of what we've seen in front of us this year, I don't think we see that uh, the, them playing as well as they did down the stretch last year. It's going to come down to the tackles. It's going to come down to the tackles this week. It's going to come down to the tackles the rest of the way out. It will. Second question, is the run defense a concern now for the rest of the year? Uh, in case you missed it, Penn State only had three tackles for loss. Two of them were sacks. One was JT Barrett with a fumble in the second half. Otherwise, they did nothing against this run game. They had two stops for no game when they really sold out. Otherwise, Ohio State, which has the most ruthlessly efficient offense in the country, and that's not even just speaking generally. You look at the statistics and how they're able to keep on schedule and move the chains, no one's better. And a lot of that has to do with the run game. So taking that into consideration and the fact that, you know, Penn State falls about 30, 35 in some of the more advanced run defense metrics, I think they're okay. It's not a concern. It will be more of a concern, however, if A, Buck Colt is out for the year, um, or B, you suffer another injury on that defensive line, because that's something you really can't overcome. We saw what happened when the younger defensive ends saw additional time. And again, it's not a knock on them. It's just a simple fact to be in a freshman. I think you nailed it. I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't think this is a great run defense, but I think given what they have in front of them with the schedule, it's not going to be something that you are you know, going to be up losing sleep over. Nope. Last question. Uh, are you going to lose sleep over, over under 120 receiving and rushing yards and two touchdowns for Saquon Barkley? I'm going to go under. And you pointed out a stat uh, earlier. You pulled up all the over-under 120s. I mean, it, he, he's not. Off air, of course. Yeah. No one missed anything. Off air. Yeah. And, and the numbers, you know, really from a, from an off, a total offense perspective just aren't that great. You know, he, he's broken some big plays, but at the same time he's been bottled up. I, I feel like he'll be bottled up against Michigan State's run defense this week. And he'll be effective. He'll be most effective as a receiver. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with under because it, the stats are a little crazier than you would expect. They are, and especially for a guy who's supposedly leading the Heisman race. Again, it you know has basically remained the same even though Bryce Love missed last week. I'm going to go over that, and I think this is a game where he is featured heavily through the past game. And when we saw against Iowa 94 yards, 142 against Georgia State, a lot of that had to do with his big 85-yarder. I think at Michigan State, he breaks a long receiving touchdown, does just enough on the ground, and that's where you get the, you know, over barely 120 receiving combined with rushing yards. Two touchdowns, though, that's going to be a push or an under. He's, I don't think he's going to get three. I, you know, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Cool. I think it's going to be, Penn State's going to have to find another way. Uh, just, uh, they can do it. They've got the weapons to do it, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. You need to find another way to beat this Colt. Oh, that's, my gosh. What, what's the plan for Saturday? How are you going to be preparing for Penn State at noon? Hot toddies or something, man. I just, yeah. uh, tea, yeah. feet up. <laughs> it's been almost 40 minutes, and I'm, I apologize for my, uh, 
lack of candor and uh, voice here, but uh, no, you, yeah, slug through another one. I think you deceived everyone easily in the first 10, 12 minutes, but then when I just blatantly pointed out at about 14, 14 and a half, there's nothing you can do except for, um, you know, own up to it. Crazy, man. Kids, they'll do it to you yeah. every time. Now, one thing we forgot to mention, you guys have been fantastic on iTunes, rating, review. We really appreciate it. We'd love some more feedback again. We've had a little bit of a dry spell in that regard. So things you've liked, things you haven't liked, please find us on iTunes. As I said, rate, review. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can find both of us on Twitter. And, you know, we'll, of course, take that into consideration. It's crazy how the season has flown by, but this podcast will keep rolling on uh, as Penn State goes on. The next step is Michigan State. But between now and then, again, find us, rate, review, Google Play, wherever you're listening to us. We'd, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Lions 24-7 Podcast.